Welcome, welcome to Taboo Topic. I am your host, Ken Drew, for your weekly review edition. Where I pick two to four stories that I found interesting. Hopefully, you do as well. But I have a first-time guest today, a combat vet and an entrepreneur. So hopefully, you enjoy her perspectives. It was a great conversation we had. Uh, we go over Elon Musk coming out as a Republican, coming out of the closet, as I called it earlier. And also, we look into how the economy and how Biden's policies are affecting the average consumer and business owner, which is great because, like I said a moment ago, our guest is an entrepreneur herself. And then we also look into the amendments proposed in the World Health Organization that the United Nations will be voting on next week. Some interesting stuff there concerning medical freedom worth looking into. And then we also give you a general review of the 2000 uh, Mules documentary that came out earlier this month. We go over that. And then last but not least, we go over the disinformation board, the update with that and how it's been put on pause. And then the Buffalo shooting, some interesting perspectives that were brought up that even myself, I did not know. So with that said, folks, stay tuned. We'll be back after this short break. And now to sponsor myself, me, that's right, I have absolutely no money to be made off this, just getting the word out. Now, if you've ever wondered where I get my Thinking Out Loud monologues from, well I'm glad you asked because they're just my articles from a Substack newsletters. Just type in the URL at kenjin296.substack.com, rp kenjin296.substack.com, spell the word engine, put the letter K in front of the word engine, then get kenjin, one word, 296.substack.com. Then you can follow me on Instagram, Getter, TikTok, and soon Truth Social at Kenjin underscore Express. I repeat, Kenjin underscore Express. Then last but not least, you can follow me on Facebook. Type in Taboo Topic in the search bar. Look for the logo that says Honesty Equals Understanding. There's two episodes a week. I have a hot seat edition where I scrutinize an opinion or story, popular or unpopular. Do my research so to provoke thought. Remember... That also comes with an article on Substack, so don't forget about that, on Wednesdays. Then on Friday, we go over current events where I pick two to four stories I found interesting, and hopefully you do as well. Possibly more if I have a guest, then there's a good conversation so we can cover as many bases as possible so you, the audience, have less holes to fill in understanding the truth. That's two episodes a week, guaranteed, which you can listen to this show on any platform from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, and more. So stay up to date and tune in. Don't forget to leave a review either. If it's less than a five star, let me know so I can better serve you. Here on this show, we dare to think out loud and question the narrative. Free speech triumphs your safe space because in order for us to think, we have to risk being offensive. If we want to have true peace in our society, we have to be able to be honest with each other. If we can be honest with each other, then we'll have a true understanding that will lead to real peace. Amen? All right, let's get back to the show. reality is uh, that, that Twitter at this point, you know, has uh, a very far left bias. Um, and I, I would classify myself as, as a moderate, and, you know, neither the Republican nor, nor Democrat. Um, and in fact, uh, I have voted, voted overwhelmingly for Democrats uh, historically, overwhelmingly. Like, I'm, I'm not sure, I, I might never have voted for a Republican, just to be clear. Right. Um, now, now, this election, I would. <laughs> <laughs> We know how uh, how people are suffering from high inflation, and we have both the tools and the resolve to uh, to get inflation back down. 
Uh, and no one should doubt our resolve in doing that. And uh, I, I think if you if you look at uh, uh, how quickly we've moved in the last few months, really, uh, then you'll you'll see that financial conditions have tightened quite a bit. What we need to see is inflation coming down in a, in a clear and convincing way. And we're going to keep pushing until we see that. Welcome back. Welcome back to Tapu Topic. I am your host, Ken Drew, for your Week in Review edition. And I am joined by my first-time guest. She is a business owner, so this should be an interesting conversation as she will bring in some fresh perspectives that this show is quite frankly neglected. So welcome to the show. I'll let you introduce yourself to the audience. How are you, Magda? Magda. 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 Nice <laughs> to be here. Thank you so much, Ken. No problem. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and uh, what's your background. Yeah, I'm a combat veteran like yourself, served in the Army, joined after uh, – witnessing September 11th, joined a few months afterwards and uh, went to Iraq, served two tours, came back, worked as a defense contractor, battled, you know, health issues, a lot of the transition issues that so many other, you know, veterans returning from war battle as well. But I turned my life around over the course of a decade and uh, I started uh, my business, Triangle Fragrance, the world's first modern luxury fragrance for men and women two years ago, right before the pandemic started. So <laughs> took everything I have learned and knew about life and applied it to push through and not, you know, fall out like so many other, you know, businesses unfortunately did during the pandemic. So it involved moving to Florida because everything was locked down up in New York City where I was at the time. So, so yeah, so the journey has been two years being in this retail space and I'm uh, growing and learning every day and delivering value to my customers. So did you grow up in New York originally? Yeah. 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 That's that. Those are my roots. Those are my roots. And the lockdowns, like many other States forced you to move to a red state. Sounds like, <laughs> well, it, it forced me to move to an area where, you know, it was open and where common sense prevailed. And that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what part of Florida are you living in? Because I live in Southwest Florida personally. Yes. Yes. I'm in, uh, I'm in Miami. So love it here. The weather is amazing. Um, you know, it's a very vibrant uh, area. You know, people, I think, you know, take the pandemic equation out of it. Florida, especially down in this area, you know, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of movement. So when I was looking, you know, which city to move to, I wanted to pick something that was as close as possible, if you will, to New York City, where, you know, that was the center of the universe for so long. And I, I wanted to go to an area where things were happening, where uh, transportation existed, where businesses were thriving. And, you know, being in this area, you know, it attracts the right kind of people, people that hustle and grow but um, are not necessarily looking to be in the city right now, in New York City right now. So who has the worst traffic? Because I've heard horror stories about the traffic in Miami. So who has it worse, New York City or Miami? You know, I have to say, living so many years up in New York, you figured out patterns and you knew how to get around them. And they were logical. They followed, hey, the, uh, <laughs> the rush hour or, you know, it made sense. And you had resources. You had alternate routes. We, we had it down pat. But here, 
oh no, there's no rhyme or reason. And <laughs> it's, it's, it's very frustrating. <laughs> So. I've heard horror stories because one of my best friends went to Florida Atlantic University, like Boca Rotan. So that's mm -hmm. right around that Miami area. And he would tell me horror stories of how he's he's amazed how he has not gotten into a car accident at that point. So, yeah, it is. It is pretty bad. Um, and then you have the influx of so many people moving down here as well. So that just adds to it. I, I just believe like with all the growth, um, literally like the real estate growth and everything that's going on, you know, with with the mass migration to Florida and Southwest Florida, uh, you know, you're seeing in Southeast Florida as well, uh, rather you are seeing a lot of stress on the existing infrastructure. And I think it's going to be worse before it gets better. So then you also have the environment to consider, you know, I mean, if you look at the map of Florida, the majority of it is green <laughs> wetlands, <laughs> everything, you know, so we're trying to cram and accommodate, so many people in their vehicles and everything. And, you know, it's, I, I think that's going to present challenges to developers. But uh, one thing that is good that's coming out of it is that Brightline train, that privately run train that's going to connect um, South Florida with Tampa and Orlando. So I haven't been on the Brightline yet, but I am impressed by the number of stations that are popping up all along the, um, southeast side i did not know that mm -hmm. the more you know so <laughs> yeah. um so uh, normally what i do every week i ask my audience this question every week and you can answer this question yourself but i ask my audience so to my audience out there um how was your week this week was it a good week bad week meh it, uh, it, it's terrible been a productive <laughs> a productive productive week and and that's a blessing for someone like myself i mean unproductive weeks are miserable. So, you know, like th this has definitely been a productive week. I'm not going to say it was an easy week, but, you know, <laughs> problems were overcome <laughs> and adapted to, you know, so, um, and results were attained. So that's, you know, the, the net that, is positive. Well, that sounds like a New Yorker because as someone who grew up in Florida for a good portion of his life, I enjoy the chill. So <laughs> I've had a pretty chill <laughs> week and I don't mind the unproductivity every now and then either. If anything, too much productivity uh, stresses me out. So um, one of the benefits of getting that DD2, DD4 and 2.14 being a civilian again, I don't have to worry about that extra stress factor, which was really detrimental to my mental health while I was in. So which one of our stories has to do with the veteran, which we'll get, it, get into later on. Um, you ready to get the show started? Sure, let's do it. So we're going to actually touch economics for this first segment, ladies and gentlemen. And like I said a moment ago, this is not something in, of an area really touched on a whole lot. But we'll go ahead and start off with something more familiar to me as far as the political landscape. And then we'll get into the actual economics portion. And the reason why I say this is because this story actually has to do with Elon Musk. Elon Musk is a well-known entrepreneur. Um, he's been a supporter of green energy forever, for as long as I can, I've been alive. And uh, but he's come out of the closet and no, he's not uh, swinging for this for the other team. It means he's coming out as in support of the Republican Party for future elections In a tweet from the world of Twitter. He tweets in the past. I voted Democrat because they were mostly the kindness party, but they have become the party of division and hate. So I can no longer support them and will and will vote Republican. Now, watch their Dirty Tricks campaign 
against me unfold. Now, uh, Elon Musk was a staunch supporter of Obama and his views, again, of, about the environment typically falls in line with the more classical liberal position, which is weird for me to say that because I remember just 10 years ago, that was just mainstream liberalism. Um, I, di I digress. Anyway, uh, this is an entrepreneur who started his company in California or California. It wasn't that bad yet when he started, but the state got so far left and anti-capitalist that he moved his company headquarters in Austin, Texas. So this should have come to a surprise to anyone. I guess my first thoughts about this story is the Democrats were always the party of division and hate, in my opinion. They were just a lot more subtle about it. They had the tendency to manipulate the public with emotions, thinking being purely empathetic towards certain groups while abasting dissenters was compassionate. Uh, Good for you, Elon. Good for him. Uh, the attacks were already coming before, though, before he came out of the closet as a Republican. So with this uh, tweet, this will become a smear campaign on steroids at this point. Uh, the presumptive owner of Twitter, a Republican, that just can't happen to the elite establishment. Uh, your thoughts? Yeah, no, it's hilarious. Like exploding heads everywhere. <laughs> but, you know, teachers on people evolve. And, and that's what I'm learning. People who are growth minded evolve. And and that's a good thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, um, it's good when you're steadfast in your values. And then as you learn more about things in life and, and how things work and how systems work and what root causes really are and uh, realize and understand the manipulation that's out there and you're a critical thinker you know, you, you default to your values and you will go in the direction that makes the most sense for you and what you believe in. So I'm not surprised about this. And it, it's very fitting for, you know, it, it, it's representative, if you will, <laughs> of a <laughs> lot of people across the country who, you know, they're, they're starting, perhaps they did not put as much stock and thought into their vote but they're starting to realize that elections do matter and have consequences. I'll venture to say too, I think, I don't think I've seen this much focus on primaries before this year. This is the first year I think where primaries was an actual talking point, at least in conservative circles anyway, um, because a lot of people don't like, I mean, like you said a moment ago to kind of add on to what you just said before people didn't really put much thought into who they voted for. And now they're seeing like, okay, does this represent, does this guy actually represent my values and what I believe in? And if you look at their voting records, a lot of these guys who've been in there for 20, 30, 40 years, I mean, maybe at one point they had the best interests of the American people, but later on, somewhere down the road, I mean, the Bible, I mean, it's my religious influence coming in, uh, the root of all evil is love of money. And so a lot of these politicians, they get their big donors, their big uh, corporations and everything like that, that pay them behind the scenes to pass legislation that really benefits the elite, more or less, versus the working class. And so uh, this is like the first billionaire, <laughs> if you will, that's come out at least openly anyway. I'm not sh I'm who knows? Maybe there's more entrepreneurs who are Elon Musk status like Jeff Bezos, which I doubt he is considering how he runs the Washington Post. But um, 
the fact that he's a billionaire coming out Republican, I mean, it's already getting, it's already pissing off the establishment, the fact that he's trying to take over Twitter. Now, on top of that, now he's a Republican. Um, but pray for him. <laughs> really, in all honesty, pray for him because it's going to be a sphere campaign that I don't think we've seen on someone who, ironically enough, supports, again, like I said a moment ago, he supports basic liberalism values when it comes to the environment. Like he promotes and pushes and sales green, efficient cars, like electric vehicles. That is like the utopia for liberals and environmentalists, I thought anyway. But because he's coming out as a Republican, now he's the enemy of the people. Now he's dangerous to democracy. So it's, again, like you said a moment ago, exploding heads for sure. Yeah, well, here's the thing. If you are, you look at who are majority voting. You know, I, I don't know that the millennials have taken over in numbers over the baby boomers, but the baby boomers are obviously, you know, dying out over the next few years. So if who influences the, the millennials and the Gen um, Z that, you know, the up and coming voter majority? OK. And, you know, they're all on social media. And if you are an influencer that is meme worthy, something you say or do instantly turns into a meme. Right. You have influence. So it's not even so much about the policy. It's who are you reaching? Because less and less people are trusting the traditional media sources. So they're going to this blob of the Internet and, you know, whoever gets their messaging out, whoever's most known and most emulated or most, um, you know, their message is uh, basically pushed out and gets to the masses, they're going to yield power and they're going to be real influencer. So it's really interesting because he's not even American, but. <laughs> well, it's funny that you say that though, too, because it seems like the ones who did not, who aren't born in America they're, and come to America, they're the ones who actually, I mean, they're not the ones who, are going to be talking socialist talking points like homegrown Americans these days, especially my generation. I'm from, the, I am that millennial, you know, smack that middle of like the debate of am I Gen Z or millennial? So far, right now, I'm millennial. Next day, I may be Gen Z. I was born in 96. So, hmm. um, but with that said, interesting point that you mentioned that I didn't think about. And I think that perhaps this could also be another reason why the liberal elite establishment is freaking out about Elon Musk coming out as a Republican. As you said a moment ago, like my generation in particular, Gen Z, like we're the ones who are going to be on social media, but we're also a lot more when it comes to the environment and everything like that. We're definitely more that uh, electric car vehicles and everything like that. Now imagine having a, having someone who supports those values, a, and has a lot of influence, but comes out supporting a party that is typically not known for supporting those policies. That by itself would freak any establishment, established Democrat, in, at least in my opinion. Um, so I think that's another reason why they probably are freaking out, because this would probably influence millennials and Gen Zers a little bit more to the right. And maybe open up to the idea like, OK, so Republican doesn't necessarily mean we're anti-environment or you know we're pro destroying the earth as like the propaganda spews how republicans view the environment and concern the environmental policy so i think that's another factor as far as like maybe 
as far as why their heads would be exploding in this situation. Like, this is like hitting the panic button. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe, but you know, they, in the end, who cares, right? That's their problem <laughs> to deal with. I think the focus should be on what we. When I say we, I don't mean you know straight line Republicans. People who value freedom, people who value life, you know, people who value American ideals and values. Okay, what are we collectively, as a very broad group, doing? to improve the situation for our country and future generations. And that's where the focus needs to be. Yes, it's a battlefield out there. Like if you are in politics, sure, that's your, that's your play. That's your battleground, okay? But we have to, you know, as, as mature adults who care deeply about our country, that's where we pick our play. We can only control what we can control. So you're right. I mean, it's, it's one thing to look at what's going on and how the influences are uh, parlaying out. But at the same point, <laughs> it's also a, a five second attention span environment. So tomorrow the new memes will come out. Do you see my point about how, you know, it, today it's a headline, but tomorrow it's old news already. Because Absolutely. Things are evolving so quickly, so quickly. Absolutely. And one of the reasons why I do a weekend review like this is because is to give the audience an actual opportunity to get a full digested perspective of what's going on instead of like that five seconds, you know, second uh, tweet or social media post where someone doesn't really get to the bottom level of what's actually going on. Like you're not going to actually get a full understanding of what's going on from like one social media post. Mm -hmm. And then it's, it's kind of designed that way too, isn't it? To an extent, like if you make a tweet, where it's uh, divisive or gets attention, it kind of it forces people to distract themselves from the real issues going on. I guess the point that I was making about just a second ago about Elon Musk coming a Republican, how with us, our generation, I guess the point that I was trying to make is it at least helps break the stigma that anyone who does not support the Democrat Party, at least, is somehow against the environment and that we're, you know what I'm saying? That's really yeah, well, that's well, where i was going and, with that and then that's the thing you know i care about our beautiful planet you know i just don't <laughs> care for uh agendas hidden agendas to you know fill the pockets of someone you know in fake science that's what i don't care about and we've yeah. seen that you know when it comes to environment unfortunately those two things have been at play well so, so science yeah. has definitely been politicized unfortunately and i can attest to that now considering that i took environmental science last semester and i kid you not i hate science with a passion but for some reason i sounded more like a scientist than pretty much 90 percent of my classmates because especially when we're talking about the issues of climate change in particular there like there's a discussion post where the professor asked like okay what can you do to reduce pollution and a lot of my classmates had like this outlandish uh extreme points of views as far as like we'll switch to 100 percent electric vehicles but they didn't ask questions like, all right, do we even have the resources to actually make that? A, is that a feasible solution? Do we even have the resources, et cetera? So I know what and, you're saying. And, and also, I just learned recently how disruptive, I didn't realize that, how disruptive it is to the environment to mine the lithium. It actually depletes the environment. So, you know, it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a problem that I'm sure over time will be you know, fixed and addressed because entrepreneurs solve problems, but the grass is not always greener. I agree. Side, on yeah. the electric side. 
Well, speaking of like, it's not, I mean, speaking of uh, empty promises, the Biden administration, this kind of gets into your story with the economy and everything like that. The Biden administration is known for making all these utopia policies and promising people like this, these policies will work for the benefit of the American people. But as the consumer perspective, and we're finding out that's not really the case, but let's go ahead and hear your perspective and actually go ahead and give your synopsis of what you're going, we're about to go through rundown, excuse me. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely a very, very challenging time for our economy right now. Everybody feels it. And, you know, whether it's at the gas pump or, you know, the supply chain and they can't get, say, baby formula for babies or, uh, you know, supplies needed to build their, you know, if they're if you're a builder and you're trying to build a home and, you know, everything in between. You know, we have a lot of economic issues facing our country right now. Um, stark, mock, stark, bleh, can we speak? The stock market is plummeting, <laughs> you know, is plummeting, you know, much like it did in 2020 as well. Um, although everything's cyclical, it will rebound, but the combination of all of these things going on in one shot is affecting people and is affecting people's behavior and their ability to grow because a lot of, uh, a lot of people tend to, you know, pull back and retreat when things happen. And if you have a lot of mouths to feed or even just one mouth to feed, you know, other than yourself, it's going to impact your decisions. So certainly it's, it's definitely one of, you know, it's a horrible economy. Um, they haven't called recession yet, but it's recession-like at least and <laughs> will continue, you know. So it's definitely impacting a lot of people and that's unfortunate, um, you know, to see. I mean, I, well, how can I put it? We, are we surprised? No. <laughs> Under no. this administration. But, you know, it's such, we've been on such a, a roller coaster because things were great a few years ago under President Trump. And now things are plummeting. So it is affecting a lot of people, but that's why it's so important. What, what can we do about it? You know, that's why it's so important not to be dependent on systems and to really self-educate ourselves, not rely on what is being spoon-fed to us in, you know, our academic life, you know, minimum first 12 years and then perhaps college afterwards, you have to be a critical thinker. So you're able to determine best what will help support and align with your values. And so that when times get tough, you're prepared mentally first and foremost, you're mentally prepared to overcome the situation. Well, I don't know what the gas pump is right now in Miami, but over here, at least in Sarasota, Bradenton area, uh, I saw unlead regular gas for 460, which that was higher than at any point during Obama's years when I started driving. I was like 18 at that point, and I thought that was expensive. And I'm noticing personally as a consumer anyway, like I'm driving less and less just to save an extra buck here and there. Um, but it kind of goes into what you were saying, though, as far as educating yourself in the sense of personal finances. I think that's something that's undervalued, period. Um, most Americans, from my understanding, don't even have $500 in a, for emergency fund, period. And that's just a reflection, as you mentioned, and go as far as being too reliant on the systems. That's a re that's a reflection of the failure of the public school system to provide basic education so the 
students when they graduate high school can actually be productive members of society and also help themselves along the process as well. So they don't have to be reliant on, let's say, social welfare programs, for example, which a lot of people, I think, there's a difference between being poor and broke, I think. And for an economy like this, you have to be financially literate. If you're not financially literate, this economy will destroy you currently. Um, what's the gas pump right now in Miami, by the way? I'm curious. Mm, it's been a couple of weeks since I filled up. I have a, a big, a large tank. And I don't drive too much. But breaking news, I just saw that the Senate sent over that $40 billion uh, Ukraine bill to, uh, to the president. So he's going to sign off on it. $40 billion to go to Ukraine, <laughs> additional to what's already been sent. So that just further, you know, amplifies how <laughs> the American economy is getting screwed. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pri- talk about priorities, right? Um, we got a situation with, I mean, our own oil reserves are shut down. Why? Mm-hmm. Because to save a bird or a tree here and there. In the meantime, no, it, the American- it's not. I mean, it's it's not. I you know, I mean, there are forces that are trying to destroy what America stands for, and there are forces that are trying to fill their pockets. You know, their generational pockets. So they they don't have America's interests at at front. You know, and so how has Biden's policies affected you as a business owner? I'm really curious to hear, like, how has his policies actually affected you as a entrepreneur if you don't mind me asking yeah i mean it's a lot more expensive to run a business um you know we have supply chain issues the cost of fuel you know impacts shipping costs which you know i i cover the cost of uh shipping for my customers so i'm absorbing that cost as well you know so every little or every policy not just little every little every big policy certainly affects, you know, the viability of someone going out and saying, hey, I want to buy a luxury product. So I, you know, it it is what it is. I I get it. (laughs) I don't (laughs) sit there and dwell on the problem. I just find a way around it. And, you know, in order to keep the business afloat and to keep it growing and moving forth strongly. So, Certainly, there are so many impacts across the board, but at the same point, I don't let that be the focus. You know, um, I look at this as an opportunity, and that's the difference because, yeah, when things are really bad, it's actually a really great time to look for opportunities to grow, you know, either personally or if you have a business or if you have an entrepreneurial mindset. What problem? is facing the most people that you can find a solution for. And that's where you see a lot of ingenuity pop up. So instead of, you know, like two types of people, I wrote about it in my book, you know, you're either fixed-minded or growth-minded. And if you're growth-minded, you're going to see the opportunity. If you're fixed-minded, you're going to let the narrative, the environment control you as opposed to gaining control yourself. That was a very, that was motivational. (laughs) Well, it's factual and we're obviously not taught this in school. So it's one of those things. If you learn it in life, you know, either through, you know, your parents or someone you're exposed to when you're younger 
or on your own journey of growth later on in life. Once you realize that, you realize how powerful we are inherently. You know, you break free from the systems that have kept us <laughs> contained for a long time. Contained, you know, kind of like that, the, the little, uh, what, what was that rodent on the, the hamster, the hamster on the wheel, you know? Ah. The majority of us, like we're, you know, we come into this world and here, this environment where we're on this wheel. How do you break free from that wheel? You know, so understanding that we all have the power to do that. And it doesn't matter where you came from. I definitely agree with you that especially my generation, it seems like any problem that arises, my generation's first uh, instinct is to ask, what can the government do for me? Instead mm -hmm. of like asking themselves, like, what can they do for themselves and to improve their situation? Like, if there's a problem, you actually have the power. This is a government, this is a system by the people where the people govern amongst themselves. So if there is a problem, the people have the power to actually fix the problem themselves without the government's intervention. And that's something that's been missing in our culture as well, that really going back to 2020, I think something happened with the American psyche to an extent where we allowed governments to go ahead and tell businesses you know, this is, this business is essential. This is not essential. And we were okay with that for some reason. And part of me, um, I think a part of me thinks that now looking back anyway, people are realizing what you're saying, that this is not how the system, at least, at least constitutionality anyway, this is not how the founding fathers intended the system to be. Uh, the system did not intend the government to be the solution or to be the big brother 1984 style to, you know, solve everyone's problems and give people social welfare programs, which quick story, I guess, real quickly to kind of go get a little personal because my uncle is an entrepreneur himself. He uh, runs his own plant nursery business in Georgia. And he's been he told me at one point, like these policies with the Biden administration has put in place has actually affected the amount of has affected him being able to find workers out there because the government has incentivized people to stay in instead of actually go find a work. So I'm curious as well, as far as like, has that, has his policies actually affected your ability to hire people? Yeah. So, so I'm, I've been a solopreneur with this business, so no employees. Uh, so that being said, <laughs> you know, there's good and bad with that, of course. Uh, you, you can only wear so many hats at one time. But when I look around at the motivation of people who want to grow and who want to be part of something bigger than themselves, the outlook doesn't look so great. I have a lot of friends who own businesses that have employees that are hiring and it's challenging. It's much more challenging. And the main reason is because People, younger folks, especially, you know, who haven't worked hard, you know, put in those long hours and really, you know, proven themselves to be an asset uh, inside a company. A lot of them are kind of coming of age now in this welfare uh, system that's been created that started, you know, a couple of years ago. And now with it, it continues, it continues as well. I saw another program to, you know, uh, help certain states with their mortgages. And, you know, it goes back to the whole personal responsibility and personal accountability. And, you know, there are groups, of course, that need help. And I, I absolutely believe that, you know, 
But at the same point, how are we strengthening our country and growing as a nation if our priorities are screwed up and if we're creating this environment where you can just stay home and collect unemployment and collect welfare and not grow? Like that is not good for our country. And that's a problem because the business owners need to hire people who want to work, who want to grow, who want to have a purpose in life and more than just a paycheck. And there are many great companies out there. So while it does not impact me directly right now in terms of employment, um, you know, I know a lot of business owners who are impacted by that. But at the same point, it's a great opportunity. Going back to what I was saying about the folks who are growth-minded, now's the time where, hey, if you want to work hard and you want to work for a great company, they're out there. And you could be paid very well as well. You know, so your choice is, do you want that purpose and mission? And yes, you're going to have to do some work. Or do you want to live this meaningless life and just go, you know, be, be tethered to the government check that's coming in? So people need to make decisions. And if you're over 18, you should have the wherewithal to make a decision about your path in life and which direction you want to go. I just can't envision myself not working at some point in my life. Like, even though the VA is compensating me for my disabilities and everything like that, and I'm, I could technically not work for the rest of my life if I really didn't want to, I just can't envision myself just doing nothing. Like, I feel like I'm not, I have to do something that I feel like I'm actually contributing to something. Like, I want to be a teacher, for example. Like, I don't have to be a teacher, though, but it's one of those things where people have – people have come up with this idea now where if you don't have to do something, it means that that's the path you should go for. Like it's it, instead of asking the question, like, well, instead of asking those bigger questions of uh, what's my purpose in life. And if you ask those questions then you'll realize that sitting on the couch, uh, playing video games all day is probably not your purpose in life, unless you want to de design video games, which maybe that's your calling. Who knows? But um, good stuff. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. Do you have any last final thoughts before we close this segment out? You know, I, I just hope that anybody that finds themselves that, that's listening to this, you know, that finds themselves in, in the category of, hey, I'm not doing much in life. I'm kind of just going with the flow. I hope, you know, they reach out to someone or on their own, they seek some growth because that is the only way. Nobody is going to get you out of your funk, your depression your meaningless, wasteful life, but yourself. You have to make that decision. Once you make that decision, you are able, you know, doors open up. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, you see all these signs, all these opportunities, and it does become easier. But you have to really sit there and think, hey, is this what I want to do the rest of my life? Isn't there a little bit more to it? You know, I'm safe for now anyway, right? But how much freedom <laughs> do I really have? How much freedom do I really have? Hope is something we give ourselves from God. That's my final thoughts for this segment. And with that said, folks, stay tuned. We'll be back after this short break. And now to take a short break from the show to keep my promise and bring an awareness to the situation in Afghanistan, where we have 9 to 15 thousand American citizens who have been abandoned after the disastrous withdrawal efforts by the Biden administration. 
the statement that these Americans chose to stay there by Biden himself is a lie from the pits of hell. He, along with other globalist leaders, would rather deflect their attention elsewhere and manipulate the rest of Americans to follow suit. However, the reality is that they are still in harm's way. These Americans have loved ones awaiting for their return in our government to make a concentrated effort to do so. This is obviously too inconvenient for our current administration, but we have to hold our leaders accountable. So this is a special shout out to those Americans and reminding them that people like myself know the reality and the truth, truth of the situation. They are not forgotten. And if there's someone out there who has a loved one stuck in Afghanistan or you're one of those people stuck in Afghanistan and you happen to hear this by one in a millionth chance, please direct message me through Instagram at Kenjin underscore express. I repeat, Kenjin underscore express. Spell the word engine. Put the letter K in front of the word engine. Then you get Kenjin, one word, underscore express. If there's any way, and I mean it, any way I can help and pass on to my audience to bring awareness to the situation and speed up the process to bring you guys home. This is the best I can do. This is the only thing I know how to do, how I can help. But I'll continue to do this until there is a concentrated effort to bring them home. Lastly, to my audience out there who don't fall in that boat, don't forget to pray for their families, their loved ones' safety, and return home. And now, let's get back to the show. Pedros, the director general of WHO on the screen, and it says right there they're planning on strengthening WHO as the directing authority on global health. I want to read the line that you said is the most concerning line out of the many amendments the U.S. is proposing to have the nations vote on next week. Again, you said uh, that was Article 12, Section 2, Line 6. It says here, if the Director General determines and the state party are in agreement regarding the determination that... And stop right there, okay? It says, if the Director General determines and the nation agrees, okay? State party, I guess, means... Nation, right. And, And so, and the state party agrees, okay, if you take out and the state party agrees, what you're left with is the director general decides. Is they've struck through the state party part. Right. Do we know the truth about what really happened in the 2020 election? I think millions of Americans know something went wrong, and they have little pieces, and no one's really put it together. I'm agnostic on this question, and I I am awaiting more information. If I believed the president were a Nazi, I might steal an election. Bold accusations require bold evidence, and they haven't seen it. We have been working on something big. And welcome back to Taboo Topic. I am your host, Ken Drew, joined by my entrepreneur friend, Magda. Did I say that right this time? Mm-hmm. Hey, I finally I got it right this time. All right. <laughs> Make it progress. Make it progress. All it's right. like MAGA with the D. <laughs> I was literally about to say that. I also thought about like MAGA, like the uh, uh, magma, like the volcano like the you know what i'm saying so smoking hot <laughs> magma <laughs> yep that that's what i also thought of that when i saw your name so uh before we get any further folks uh real quickly please hit the share button on this podcast share this with your friends and your family members and also by all means please leave a review hopefully it's a five star it's anything less than a five star let me know so i can better serve you 
with that said, this story is going to get wild. Because if you value medical freedom, this is something you should probably listen to. Per LibertyNews.org. Are you ready for this? Let's go. All right. So on May 22nd and through the 28th of this year, so next week more or less, the 75th World Health Assembly will convene at the United Nations headquarters in Geneva, Switzerland, with delegates from 194 nations to vote on the Biden administration's proposed amendments to the international health regulations that will hand over national sovereignty and authority to the World Health Organization, which, during the COVID pandemic, carried the water bucket for the Chinese Communist Party regarding the Wuhan lab. It is important to note that this was in the making since the beginning of this year, but were made public only until recently, in April. Nobody has really talked about this until this week, I've noticed, so I'm going ahead and bringing this up as well. Mainly from independent sources, like Ivory Hecker. Do you know who she is? Yes, I follow Ivory. <laughs> she does a good job uh, bringing these stories up, which, mm-hmm. you know, I'll get... She gets credit from me in the sense that I wouldn't have heard about this if it weren't for her IG, but me following her IG page and YouTube page as well, channel, excuse me. Um, That said, let's get into more details. These proposed amendments are written to strengthen the organization's ability to unilaterally intervene into the affairs of nations merely suspected of having a health emergency of possible concern to other nations. If these amendments are approved, the World Health Organization will have the power to declare an international health emergency, nullifying the powers of nation states. The U.S. amendments delete a critical existing restriction in these regulations. The World Health Organization shall consult with an, with an attempt to obtain verification from the state party in whose territory in the event is allegedly occurring. In other words, you have to get the country's approval first before they get on board or you enforce that on them. Uh, this enables the director general to declare a health emergency at will and can only be and can be used to justify ostracism and economic and financial actions against the targeted nation by other nations, other nations aligned with the World Health Organization or who wish to harm and control the accused nation. Now, typically, the World Health Organization uh regulations provide for an 18-month grace period during which any nation may withdraw its yes vote for amendments. However, the current proposed amendments will reduce that opportunity to six months. If the amendments are passed, a majority of the nations could change the indivi- their individual votes and reverse the approve- approval in the next months. This, of course, is should these amendments pass in a hypothetical sense. So this is not certain they're gonna, it's going to pass to begin with. Uh, this is what is at stake at the meeting next week. That's all this is about. But all I can say right now is, wow, um, so far. But here's the legality of, the, of this proposal on our front in the United States. Uh, this is a response from Senator Pat Toomey. Uh, as you may know, if the president of the United States decides an international treaty, two-thirds of the United States Senate must ratify the treaty before it takes effect. I take constitutional mandated responsibility very seriously and strongly opposed to any attempt to ignore the constitutional authority of the Senate. That said, the president has the ability to enter into executive agreements and political commitments between heads of governments without the consent of the Senate. However, neither executive agreements nor political commitments are binding under domestic U.S. law, and both can be revoked or reversed unilaterally by subsequent administrations. In other words, at least what I got out of it, please, if you think I'm misinterpreting uh, what he just said, 
uh, you have the floor just a second uh, to correct me. But how what I got out of it is these political leaders can talk and agree all they want. However, at the end of the day, at least on our front, unless the Senate approves of this, gets that two-thirds of the vote, will not be subjugated to this if it actually passes in the United Nations. Um, which, thank God for our Constitution. <laughs> that document was literally in place for a situation like this. Mm-hmm. Hell, even the, for the Board of Governance, for the Governance Board, which we'll get into later on, uh, checks and balances. Our founding fathers understood the nature of humanity when left on its own without any accountability. At the same time, the midterms are coming up, and though I think in a perfect world, it'll be a red tsunami, this election, this midterm, based on what happened in the 2020 election, I wouldn't put it past the globalists from both the left and right to try to strip the people's voice again, at least from my perspective. Again, we'll get into the 2000s mules movie in just a second, but let's go and go over this story real quick. Um, but I don't know what to expect, though. That said, you need more if you need more evidence, there is this a concentrated effort to literally reset the world into this Marxist, socialist, communist, one-world government that I don't know what to tell you. Um, you need more evidence that leaders like Joe Biden are in on it. This is all publicly available information from the World Economic Forum. They aren't even hiding their agenda. I won't be surprised if these amendments did pass. I don't know how many of the world leaders are in on the Great Reset. At least I know... Most developed nations, from my understanding, probably are and is. But you cannot tell me this isn't part of their agenda by any means of the imagination. No way. Uh, your thoughts, your initial reaction. Yeah, that globalist agenda. I mean, are we surprised? No. They're going to try everything as long as they have control of the administration. You know, some things will get through, others not so much. Midterms cannot come sooner, soon enough, for sure, for so many reasons. But that being said, I mean, it's it's just asinine. You know, we are the United States. <laughs> and, you know, to destroy the balance of power willingly, you know, it just shows who is in control and what their agenda is and what they really believe. And, you know, we as Americans have to take action. You know, we have to vote for the right people. There's no perfect candidate. But if you just absolutely do not pay attention to what's going on and, you know, do not want to be a willing player with what you're doing in your life, and if you're not speaking out against it or doing something about it, at a minimum, voting, right, using critical thought, and, you know, you may not like all candidates, but go with the lesser of the evils because otherwise our country is going to cease to exist as the great nation it has been and what it was founded upon and what so many, so many men and women have died protecting and preserving over a couple hundred years, you know, and that means something. And I, I believe there's an element of, we have been living rather fat and large as a nation for many years. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And, you know, we don't know the pain, you know, those who go to war, it's a small group. It's always a small group in the families of that, you know, small numbers. But where are we feeling the pain? I mean, people don't realize, you know, you touched upon it earlier, the immigrants that come over here, both my parents were immigrants. And, you know, they, they brought over an appreciation for the freedom and the opportunity that this country offers. It is second to none. And it still is, despite the madness right now, it still is. 
so undefeated world champion. But <laughs> we have to keep working to preserve it. And who we put in office matters. And, you know, realizing the influences that are out there. And I know we're going to dig deeper into some of those influences later, but that's why it's so important for people to have control of themselves from health standpoint, a financial standpoint, mind control. They need to be able to think for themselves. And that's why, you know, these things are going on. <laughs> well, <laughs> there are a lot of reasons for that, which I know we're going to get into in the next segment, but it, it's, <laughs> you know, this is just par for the course. I mean, you know, it, it's just, it's criminal from a freedom standpoint to see that these things are even uh, being considered and action being taken. Because uh, you could traitorous as well by doing this, by suggesting to give your own people's health and sovereignty to a global, to just this one world government where they have no idea what the population is like or what their problems are and what their values are just completely bypass what their values are. Just again, like this dictator like system where if they deem you a threat to public health, they could take action against you and the people. And it's like, well, what if, what if the people don't have the same issues like let's say in South Korea, like Americans are not going to have the same health concerns as South Koreans. Maybe we have different hygiene issues. You know what I'm saying? Stuff like that. And it's just that checks and balances portion anyway. Is I'm really thankful for the Constitution because of this situation right here. It's so it amazes me like how much thought that our founding fathers put into mm-hmm. creating this Constitution because of the fact they dealt with a tyrannical government of their own called guess what England the British. And the great king at the time. And they knew the tendency of human nature when they get uh, obsessed with power. And this is definitely a power grab at this point where these leaders, they they despise people like you and I. Mm -hmm. They despise like the regular Joe and Jane because we're not going to agree with them. And we want to basically live our lives in peace. You know, let us. You know, let you let you run your business. That's something you want. You want to be left alone, run your business in a healthy setting. Um, I wouldn't be left alone. Uh, there's going to be first responders that won't be left alone, not be forced to take these experimental vaccines, etc. But these people and everything like that, they are so insistent on taking control of your life. It's it blows my mind how we've come to 180, at least from one political spectrum, not so much on the right, it's at least on the working class level, the establishment, that's a different story. But from a working class level, anyway, we've come to a point where we have people like us, like we we're talking about the last segment, we actually have people that actually want the government to, aka, help them. And I say that, you know, in air quotes, because it's not really helping them. It's actually... Uh, it's like you said a moment ago, as far as like just a hamster on the wheel, it's continuing that it's continuing. Uh, you're still running the wheel as a hamster, more or less. You just don't realize it because you've been programmed to become uh, insensitive to those issues and everything like that. So, yeah, it's uh, this is a wild story. And it kind of boggles my mind that they're this brazen about it at this point. <laughs> like they're not even hiding it anymore. They're saying the quiet parts out loud. They, they haven't been hiding it for a long time. And, you know, what's sad is <laughs> uh, how few good Americans know about it. 
And I think there's a lot of apathy at this point. They're like, oh, there's nothing we could do, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's the state of our union. That's the, you know, right now, there are very few people. Like, how many people are speaking about it right now? Like you are doing, you know. That's the best thing you can do is have this conversation because people can listen in from someone they trust and know and like and hear a perspective that they may not have been able to uh, learn about because their media sources or their sources or whatnot are not covering it. There's so much going on right now. <laughs> Violence of action. But yeah, you know, this is just par for the course. And it's, it's lethal to freedom in our American way of life. There's no question about that. People need to be held accountable for these decisions. And, you know, more than likely, they will not. So we need to strengthen those that are those of us that are good people, and I'm not tying this to one party, okay? Those of us that are good people that value our freedom and American way of life need to take action to preserve it. And there are many ways to do that, but people have to do work. Like freedom doesn't come free, you know? And who has, let's be real. Like, you know, I think the opposite side has better organization, and better control of the narrative. And that's starting starting to see some change. You're starting to see some change, um, but it's not enough, you know? So there has to be vested interest in improving the stakes. We'll say, like, talk all you want, talk all the shit you want against the Democrat party and into Pelosi. When someone goes off the rails and everything like that, they do a good job of staying united. So they go to bat for those people as well. Whereas on the Republican side, we tend to leave them, you know, on an island, just like what happened to Donald Trump during the 2016 election with that whole audio tape leak, I guess, from NBC, where she he made some he made some comments in a bus station from like when he was in the, the Apprentice show, I think it's called. And the Republicans at the time when that came out, they all just kind of left him alone, like uh, they distanced themselves where if he was a Democrat, the Democrats do a good job of like rallying around someone like him for example if he were a democrat like they would have rallied around him whereas but like you said a moment ago republicans at least on the conservative end we're not as good when it comes to that situation when it comes to that stuff um there there are huge problems within the republican party you know there's a bifurcation of two different schools of thought and you know the, the values tend to be for the most part the same across the board it's it's the individuals you know, who have and their approach self, probably too. Yeah, and who have um, self-promoting interests, and you know that's that's an issue. But again, the organization as well, and the connection with your everyday American, probably not the best branding. I don't think the branding has been so good. So we definitely do have problems within the party. And so to pivot back then real quickly to the World Health Organization and these, let's say hypothetical sense, it passes in the World Health Organization with this UN meeting. Do you see foresee yourself, uh, do you foresee the Republican Party, at least in the Senate, actually uniting against this, at least? I, I would like to believe, yes, the majority will. I would venture to say yes. I think this is too far out there, but extreme and polarizing and, and un-American. Only that, but this is midterm elections. This would be political suicide if they actually voted on this, especially well if 
<laughs> especially if they're the ones that's like their seats are actually being contested this election cycle. Uh, th- it would be political suicide as a Republican if you actually voted for this, um, especially now that it's primary season in particular. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't force. I think this is like one of those. There's some issues that Republicans do rally around, like abortions, one of them. Um, and when it comes to stuff like this, I tend to think like they tend to rally together when it comes to issues like this. However, on other issues such as election integrity, they don't rally around, which kind of leads into your story. I guess it's going to be more like a documentary review, I'm assuming, this is the direction we're going with this next portion. But um, go ahead and get the synopsis of this uh, movie, 2000 Mules movie. Yeah, so the documentary Dinesh D'Souza put together and released a few weeks ago, 2000 Mules. I believe it's a smoking gun that shows the evidence of how the election was stolen. How Donald Trump should have been tr- president, not Joe Biden. So, you know, it, it, I don't want to give a spoiler alert to your audience who may not have watched it yet. But there was somebody that was interviewed in it. And they said, a lot of us, you know, on, on the right, if you will, believe there was election fraud, but there wasn't quite a smoking gun. And in the, in the documentary, the team basically did the work and provided the patterns with evidence, with video evidence. And it was fascinating because the methodology to cheat with the ballots were, you know, it's, it's what I would consider old school, you know, um, (laughs) the drop, methods if you will and a box right and it was done in a manner that didn't raise eyebrows but it was done with enough volume enough mules and in a concentrated period of time where when they stopped counting at midnight a lot happened in the next few hours and then in the morning results were changed so or results swung another way so they, this team went out there and they used, so while, while the method of the stealing of the election was, you know, again, organized and done with old school tactics, the method of capturing this operation was very new school, very, you know, technologically dependent <laughs> and fascinating. And, uh, you know, that maybe that's the, the geek in me that appreciates, you know, old school tradecraft and, and uh, new, new tradecraft, you know, given our um, technology. <laughs> You're and, good. And, yeah, and the application of, you know, what is being used right now currently <laughs> to affect a lot of different systems, that was used to unearth this operation. So it's presented very, you know, laid out so that the average American who watches it who, you know, maybe goes in with an open mind, but perhaps believes, oh, there's no way they're going to be able to show me anything. Well, when you walk away from that with the information that, and the way it's presented, like, then certainly will, you will at least leave with, with some doubts in your mind. There's no question about that. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen from this. You know, I think, or I believe it is certainly being suppressed, obviously, but I think as more people, you know, after given what we have gone through over the past few years, 
uh, and how we've been lied to and how we see now how we've been lied to. You know, people are not happy. <laughs> and then look at the conditions, the economic conditions that we're under right now. And they're probably going to have a more open mind towards learning and understanding what exactly transpired. And then they'll have to make a decision where they stand and what they believe about what happened and what needs to happen going forth. So it's, it's early on, you know, I think a number of people have actually seen this documentary. Um, it's probably very small so that that needs to be promulgated by all means, because every American should watch this regardless of who you voted for and what you believe you should watch this and make up your own mind. But the way the information was presented and knowing and understanding the, you know, the technology and the methodology that they used, it's really damning and compelling. So I will, it's funny that you brought this up because I was going to put this, I was actually going to do a full review on my Wednesday portion next week. And I was going to have someone else on my show because um, he and I disagreed about what happened on election night. My friend um, actually listened a little bit of him last night. He was on my show, but he's coming back on my show next week to talk about our our perspective of what happened that night after watching that documentary, which when you asked him before watching that documentary, he was on that, he was in that camp of like, he didn't believe, he thought there was some dishonesty that occurred, but not enough to overcome the, or there's not a systemic effort anyway. And then afterwards he was, and I was on the camp, like there was a systemic effort and he came after watching that documentary. He was like, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from now. So before I actually give you my perspective on this um, and give spoilers out, Audience, there's going to be spoiler alerts. Um, I'm going to go ahead and let you know right now. So, uh, but let me ask you this then. So what do you think, before you watch the documentary, like what was your general sentiment about what happened in general, of the general election of 2020? I, the documentary. you know, believe there certainly was cheating and cheating operations. I did not have smoking gun proof. Watching the documentary, I believe smoking gun proof exists. And I believe that if every American watched it, this would be the number one issue. This would be what they're making memes about. Do you see what I'm saying? Like this <laughs> would, this would, you know, everything else would pale in comparison because when you realize it, it's an attack on each of our individual liberty to. It's stripping the people's voice away, period. <laughs> it's 100%. literally what it's doing. Hundred percent, and and the the gall, and you know of how it was done, and it, you know it makes everything else seem crystal clear. Hindsight is twenty twenty. So you know, I went in with an open mind, curious, sure, and just just mind blown. I mean, there were moments when you know you're watching it, and it's just like when you realize the gravity of such an operation. You know, and immediately my mind went to, you know, other operations that we know have, do exist and have existed for a while. Um, you know, human trafficking, child trafficking, you know, uh, so many other operations that exist. But Let me interject you real quick. So, because you brought up mm -hmm. mules and everything like that, and the audience who may have not seen this, they're going to be like scratching their hands, like, what's a mule? So, mm -hmm. really quickly to the audience out there. So, the reason why they call them mules, they basically, so this is where the spoiler alerts are coming in. So in this case, mules are a group of people 
in a organization where they get a bunch of people and they hire them to basically drop off mail-in ballots at random points during the night but they go through but they go to like 10 20 mail-in boxes and do like the same thing and drop off like 20 100 to 30 40 mail-in ballots per se and they use the GPS tracking system and the way and the reason why they called mules anyway is because the way they operate is like a drug cartel. That's what they. That's why they call the mules. So for the audience out there, maybe scratching their heads, like, what is what is a mule? That's a, that's what a mule is. It's someone who's actually getting paid to drop off mail-in ballots at drop boxes at like this good handful of ballots that probably have abs- probably have the only really the only thing they have on there is just the name filled out as far as who they voted for. They don't have the actual. There's no. There's no identification process, and which is why voter ID is really important, by the way. Anyways, um, if you want to go ahead, actually, since you clearly more since you're into that stuff as far as the technological aspect, like you wouldn't mind explaining to the audience like how they use the GPS tracking system to identify like this this activity was not coincidental. If you don't well, mind. well, it was it was more than GPS, and and I think that's something we'll let the audience enjoy that <laughs> for themselves. Well, I don't, you know, I, I think, you know, rather than give, because they, people should be curious about how it's done and how it was unraveled. You know, people should be curious. They should go out there, watch the movie, get their friends together, just spend the 90 minutes and watch and then discuss afterwards and realize and really absorb it. You know, I remember at one point um, I was still living up East when you know, we voted and I remember receiving the ballot in the mail and I had a choice of either, uh, dropping it off at a drop box or mailing it back, not a choice of going in in person. And it was under the narrative of, uh, you know, COVID and everything. This was in, um, 2020. And I remember reluctantly, you know, filling the ballot and being reluctant, um, about, how fair my ballot would be treated, you know? So it, it, yeah. So it was very, um, <laughs> it really tied things for me, but, uh, yeah, everybody should watch that. I, I really think you just have to just the delivery of it. It was very well done with documentary. And I think it's going to, once the masses start, you know, enough of the masses and influencers, if you will see it, I think it's really going to become a central issue as it should. Uh, so integrity. So, or if my audience wants to hear the, my full on review of the movie or documentary, y'all can tune into my Wednesday portion next week with my friend Ryan, but I'll respect your wishes to keep that, you know, for this episode. But I will say before I watch the documentary, um, I, my position, I think my position still stands today anyway. Like, I knew the results were compromised. There's no way you could have told me that Joe Biden won fair and square at the very least. And it was by any, no means, nothing made sense that night. And I yeah. think the average American could probably agree to that as far as, like, when you went to bed that night. I remember going to bed literally thinking, like, Trump's got this in the bag. And, and I knew that. I felt that way because the anchors on CNN, they were freaking out because they were like, there's they're basically the rhetoric was there really was no path for Joe Biden to win. And then next morning when I went to work, suddenly states like Michigan and Wisconsin turned blue after Trump had like a 
10 point lead, whatever. And it was like, how did that happen? And then, so um, nothing made sense. So I look at the fact I looked for me anyway, the reason why I said it was compromised, because I look at the circumstances anyway, concerning if Trump was disliked so much by the people, then why did he gain 10 million votes? Are you telling me Joe Biden is more popular than 2008 Barack Obama? And Barack Obama was a pretty popular president when he ran in 2008. Exactly. And And Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just, I mean, common sense people. You know, Joe Biden's never been popular. (laughs) No. I, I mean, literally, you know, from the minute he secured the office of the presidency, Till now, there, you know, where, where, where are the Biden supporters? Where are these, you know, millions of people that voted for him? No, it never existed. The man's campaign was ran from his basement. You know, like it, common sense people. Something happened. Something did happen. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, yeah. So when I, so when I, so that was like one of the reasons I, the first thoughts I had as far as what Trump was just like, how can he? As you can make the argument. 2020 Donald Trump was more popular than 2012 Barack Obama because Barack Obama actually lost votes in his reelection campaign that year. So you're telling me that Donald Trump, who gained more votes in 2012 Barack Obama, and Obama was more popular than Biden by far, and Biden just hid in his basement for the whole campaign trail, that somehow he still won. He could barely complete a sentence. Mm-hmm. Like you really, like to me, it was one of the situations. Like you really. Think that I you you expect me to believe that these results are not compromised in some portion, some form of capacity. And I kept ter- and I heard like stories like the Dominion voting system, which I hope I don't get sued, but <laughs> by just mentioning them. But um, the Dominion voting system, like there's a s- situation in, Mich- in Michigan, for example, where the one county was originally called for Joe Biden because there was an air quote glitch in the system they found later on. The, the county flipped red by, I think Trump won by like eight points, something like that. And so to me at the time, I was like, well, if that can happen in one county, like how many other counties are ha- did this happen to where the media is suppressing this information? And, and so to me at the time, I felt it was irresponsible and unwise for the state officials to certify the election results, I think anyway. It should have never been certified. If, especially if you want to actually get to the bottom line as far as like who actually won, um, you should not certify the election, especially the kind of allegations that were occurring. Now, I think the reason why I didn't go far in the courts, which at the time I was banking on the courts to basically help Trump out, um, not because he's Trump, but because of the fact like how, because I, I trusted the process personally. I trusted the system. I trusted the court system. And the court system basically shot all of that down. But I think one of the reasons why I didn't get so far looking back on it now is when you watch the documentary 2000 Mules, the amount of evidence they collected, that requires time. And at that time in history, I mean, you what, it's like a few weeks later, state officials right. had to certify the election results. And then January 6th, the Congress members have to certify the election results. And we know how the legal system works. It takes forever to gather evidence to get something through. And so to prove something massive and corrupt as a systemic effort through the ballot box to corrupt and take the voice of the people away, that's going to require time and a lot of evidence, which is not on Trump's side, unfortunately, at that time. So um, one thing they said in the documentary that will bring up is that 
the problem this is like this is like their conclusion anyway anyway at the end was like the problem with this situation is once these ballots are casted it is very it's hard almost impossible to tell apart like okay this ballot was legally casted this should count this ballot was illegally cast, so this should not count. Because once it's in, it's in. It's kind of hard to distinguish. Right, like, which is why that system is faulty. And President Trump called it out, that it was going to be <laughs> turned into massive fraud, and it did. You know, that's why we have to go back to the ID checks. You know, we can't, you know, uh, <laughs> it's funny because we use this in, in business a lot. We talk about delegating, not abdicating. And here they were abdicating the process, but they were doing it intentionally. What does abdicating mean? I'm not a business person. I'm curious to know. It's like like you're passing it off without the guidance. Okay. So you're letting it go as is in any direction it's going to go. Where if it was delegated, in theory, you know, the process is going to be managed better. Because there's clear guidance that goes with it, right? But this was an intentional abdication of the vote. And because of, think about the environment we were in. It was still in the COVID pandemic, you know, everything was going on. There was so much going on. It was the perfect storm for them to pull this off. And they did. And and it's because mm -hmm. of that, well, first and foremost, after watching that documentary, the only thing I kept saying to myself was I effing knew it. <laughs> Literally, I freaking knew it. Oh I've yeah. Been, well, well <laughs> I've been I personally like I've been I personally have been saying it since really the end of really the reality since the end of November twenty twenty that no way Joe Biden won. Like there's some massive something corrupt just happened that night. And I stood that position and everything like that. However, I didn't know and I still and this is a position I still hold today. I still don't know if the election process was 100% honest that Trump would have won. Do I have a strong hunch that Trump would have won? Yes, because like I said, well, there's no well, way. If you think back to the numbers, you know, because they they ran super conservative numbers, a scenario with super conservative. There, it wasn't like a very. It wasn't like they used big numbers. They were taking like very small numbers, like the work like the best case scenario kind of deal right right where where you know a mule had to go to 10 a minimum of 10 stops okay so that alone showed that there was enough fraud that trump would have won then they ran the scenario with looser numbers you know uh, say a mule that only you know visited five or more locations so that obviously opened up the number of mules and the uh, um, scope of cheating that took place. And that's where you get into massive, he would have won, you know, by landslide numbers, which more accurate, of course. So even in the, in the depending on, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which side the party member is on, uh, the best case scenario, worst case scenario, the most extreme conservative in number scenario of cheating, Trump would have won. So it's very weird because I look back on the night before I went to bed, Joe Biden had a speech and he brought up those states specifically that this kind of gets into conspiracy tinfoil hat. I'll admit it's not I I don't have direct evidence that he's completely in on it. However, he's made references about it like he blatantly said in an interview like we have the biggest massive voter fraud system in place. I think, you know, what I'm talking about Um, 
they mentioned in the documentary actually, but uh, but he mentioned those specific states, and it turned out all of those states turned blue. To me, it's like coincidence, or did something else happen? Like he well, the, knew the, the battleground states. You know, that's where the intensity of the the mule operation was held at the battleground states. So you know, it was it was very organized and executed. The biggest it, surprise, though, was Georgia. You think Georgia being like a Republican state as they are, like they that would not happen. And again, one of those scenarios, again, where you look at the surround, you look at the circumstances, like a state like South Carolina that's right next to Georgia, like Trump won a landslide and you're telling me Georgia is somehow blue all of a sudden again. Mm -hmm. And the documentary reveals like that may have not been really the case. And let's keep in mind, too, like the battleground states minus Michigan. Michigan, I think, had the biggest gap that Trump had that he lost in. Um, every other state was like within that 10,000 to 15,000 voting range, um, which actually, even before the documentary, uh, Ivory Hecker covered a story where the, the investigators for the election audits in Wisconsin confirmed that the voter turnout was not in the 90 percentile, but it was in the 70 percentile, which makes sense. And it, again, when you watch the documentary, you kind of connect the dots and it helps make sense, like why they would have a numbers. Why do they mess up so bad and say 90% of the voters, uh, registered voters, actually turned out to vote? When first and foremost, 90% is an unrealis- unrealistic number. No, I don't think there's ever been an election where more than you know 70, 80%, 90% tile people, registered voters, actually voted. Um, but when you look at that gap between 90 to 70%, that's like thousands and millions of votes we're talking about. And Trump barely lost wisconsin that could have easily turned red so well you you know when people listen to this when they watch the documentary when they you know face this issue and they think what can i do besides vote right and is my vote even going to count right you know volunteer to become a poll watcher because we're going to have numerous elections you know going forth and will the system ever be perfect no i don't think it was ever perfect but be a, a poll watcher, you know, serve your time and be there trying to keep an eye out for fraud and anything that looks suspicious. You know, that's something, I, I, I don't know what the rules are. Imagine you have to be 18 years old. <laughs> but, but that's something that if more Americans wanted to take control of the process and do their part, that's a way they can serve and do their part. Well, it definitely was not the most secured election, despite the entire establishment stating otherwise. Well, that's their narrative, (laughs) of course. I mean, pretty much, you know, it's come to the point. Anything they say, it's the opposite, right? More or less. Yeah. But but if you're someone like you were saying, Moen, like you're kind of on the fence and, you you know, you're kind of maybe agnostic uh, about, as Dennis Prager put it, I would recommend watching this as well. So, and you will, I don't know about you, but within the first five minutes, I was already fired up. I was already getting heated. <laughs> when when um, they started showing, you know, how they tracked, because I have a background in, you know, that sort of technology. And I 
I will say it is a little creepy how they track individual citizens like that. I will admit that that is a little creepy. Well, you know, but that's not the only application. You know, that's being done on the daily. You know, by yeah, across many applications. So that's the nature of technology and the world that we've all evolved into. So, but understanding how it works and how reliable data is. You know, because that's what it goes back to. It's it's data. It's not, I think, I feel, I believe it's, this is what happened. These are the numbers. These are the signals. And this is what it shows. Oh, and here's the video footage from the security camera to back up everything we just presented. Boom. Smoking gun. <laughs> well, unless you're Ben Shapiro, of course, where somehow he believes that illegally casted ballots does not mean illegal votes, which... I don't get that. Um, unless you're, unless your brain's too big to watch the documentary, uh, I recommend anyone watching that documentary at least uh, who has, who believes in common sense and is open to changing their mind. So, and like you said, you don't have to be conservative to be fired up about this issue. Um, I would hope that even the average Joe Jane Democrat would watch this and walk away feeling frustrated about how. The people's voice is literally being there's a systemic effort to strip the people's voice away in favor of the ruling class. Any final thoughts before we close this segment out? Yeah, you know, I, I will liken the uh, the the gut feeling of, of, you know, the range of emotions that people are going to experience when they watch this. Right. I'm going to liken that, uh, you know, from a broad scale of Americans across the different parties, across the spectrum. Okay. Then I'll liken that to Afghanistan last August. All the military, whoever served, ever wore the uniform, that gut feeling we felt when we saw what happened, how 13 of our service member brothers and sisters were killed because they were sitting ducks in a position that could have absolutely been prevented. Okay, my point is we're not comparing the lives of those lost, what I'm saying is that feeling you get where I remember when that happened, it was like a, a gut punch so deep for every single person that had ever served. No question. No question. Because of what happened, what should not have happened, and it unfolded live before our eyes. And I think, or excuse me, I believe that when Again, Americans from left to right watch this documentary and realize that this didn't have to happen this way and it happened and what a direct attack it is on their individual liberty and freedom. I think that's going to have that kind of effect as well. venture to say that when I, as someone who did one tour in Afghanistan, even before the 13 service members, it's definitely affected me emotionally more than I thought it would. Mm-hmm. And so I could definitely relate to what you just said. Um, I think that's a good comparison, especially if you care about the system and you care about your voice being heard. Uh, this is probably, it's not going to be easy to watch, but it's necessary. I think it's one of those situations where you may not necessarily want to, but it may be, it's definitely necessary for you to watch it for every American in our country right now, if you care about the electoral process. With that said, folks. Stay tuned. We'll be back after this short break.
was mischaracterized, then the disinformation board is being shut down because of disinformation? Is that what's happening here? Look, I mean, the, the board was put forth for a purpose, right? To make sure that we really did, a, a, a really did address what was happening across the country when it came to disinformation. It's, okay it's all, but no, it's, it's just going, it's, it's going to pause. There's been a mischaracterizations from outside, uh, outside forces. And so now what we're going to do is going to, we're going to pause it and we're going to do an assessment. But the work does, the work doesn't stop. We're still going to continue the work. The DHS is still going to continue the work. An 18-year-old white male has been arrested and charged with first-degree murder for a mass shooting at a supermarket in Buffalo, New York, in what authorities called an act of racially motivated violent extremism. Authorities say at least 10 people have been reported dead from the shooting, which took place in a predominantly black neighborhood in Buffalo on Saturday afternoon. Buffalo Police Commissioner Joseph Grimaglia said the suspect was armed with an assault-style rifle and body armor when he opened fire in the parking lot while live-streaming the attack on Twitch. He worked his way back towards the front of the store. Buffalo Police immediately responded, engaged the suspect in the vestibule of the store. And at that point, the suspect put the gun to his own neck. Buffalo Police personnel, two patrol officers, uh, talked the suspect into dropping the gun. He dropped the gun, took off some of his tactical gear, surrendered at that point. And we're live, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Taboo Topic. I am your host, the best in the business, Ken Drew, joined by my friend Magda from her own. What's your name? What's the name of the business again? I'm sorry. Triangle Fragrance. Triangle Fragrance. And what exactly is that again? It's the world's first modern luxury fragrance for men and women. Made in USA. All right. So if you want to support an American business, there you go. Where can they find you, by the way? I'll give you an opportunity to go ahead and give yourself a plug as far as where people can find you. And if they're interested in buying your product, go mm -hmm. ahead. So I have a few locations, but trianglefragrance.com. They could see the store locator and uh, they could purchase online as well. A uh, portion of proceeds benefit my charity, which we're currently supporting a veteran nonprofit. And also the it's important to know for those that do care about American-made products, that these are also vegan-friendly and cruelty-free. So in other words, if you, do, are, if you do not want to support the globalist agenda and the idea that American jobs are getting shipped overseas, we have a business, we have an entrepreneur right here on the show, folks, who's actually trying to be a contributor, be the change you wish to see in the world. As cheesy as it sounds... There's mm -hmm. a lot of truth to it. <laughs> uh, I will yeah. say, having you on my show is actually, I appreciate your different approach to some of these conversations. It's definitely, especially that first segment where uh, it seemed more like a motivational talk in some points, but it's definitely not some, it's not a talking point or perspective that really gets brought up on this show a lot. So I appreciate it. It's a taboo perspective. <laughs> Thank days, you. Like. Thank you. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, being original is, uh, I, I believe it's something that has um, kind of been overshadowed these days. And, you know, back in the day, right, like 200 years ago, there was a lot of original thought. I mean, that's what developed this country and our great nation. So it's, it's refreshing to see those that are willing to take risk and put themselves out there and stand on their own opinion, say, say even we'll go, overseas to elon musk you know <laughs> but as a, <laughs> as a current example right you know which we touched upon in this segment and sometimes you have to say and do what you believe in even if it is not 
what is popular. And perfect example, like he, you know, investors didn't invest in him and, you know, people did not believe in what he envisioned and he was not afraid to take the risk and go all in on it. So it's the same concept, like make critical thought and original thought sexy again. Seriously. (laughs) Well, we need more of that because, you know, I did even address this in my book. You know, there's nothing wrong with um, re, you know, reproducing good, you know, values and content and, and, you know, to serve others, right. You know, give credit where credit's due. But at the same point, it, you don't see a lot of variation from a lot of narratives and that goes across the board, you know, and it's, it's refreshing to see different perspectives. So, um, anyway, that being said, I just, uh, believe it's important to be uniquely you. Well, it's funny that you mentioned like taking a risk because the last episode, the last hot seat from this past Wednesday, literally touched on that. And uh, fear of failure tends to be the reason why people don't take a chance on themselves most of the mm-hmm. time. When it seems, I feel like society has made failure a bad thing when failure is actually a good thing. It's, if you fail, that's actually, if you fail at something new, like you've never tried it before, that's a good thing because that means you're at least trying to achieve something. Whereas if you're just remaining stagnant, the old expression, you miss all the shots you don't take, kind of stems from that thought. I mean, if you don't take any shots at the three-point line while there's someone out there right next to you who's actually making the attempts, uh, they're going to win most likely. They have a much higher chance of winning because they're the ones actually taking the shot versus the ones not taking the shot. So um, good stuff. I appreciate your perspective. For sure, It's been fun having you on the show. So thanks for coming on again. Thank you um, for having me. Yeah, no problem. With that said, though, talk, speaking of like having original thought, you know, it's a bad sign when your thoughts are weak and your arguments and policies are weak when you feel as though you have to censor people and demand people to have their speech monitored. Uh, we're go- That's right. We're going back to the governance board or the misinformation governance board, as it's called. I saw this on Instagram on Wednesday night and thought, why not do a follow-up story? I did this a couple weeks ago or a few weeks ago with Ryan from Between the Liars. Talked about the misinformation or disinformation governance board, uh, which disinformation in their world means, I mean, it's really just propaganda. So um, it was crazy that we even have this conversation, frankly, this conversation of the disinformation governance board or as many people call it, the Ministry of Truth, and rightfully so. Uh, This board was initiated after Elon Musk's offer to buy Twitter was accepted. Uh, It's not accepted yet, but this was a blow to our government. They lost the puppet, so they went after, so they went through with this board that had been in the conversation since the beginning of last year. Uh, This is definitely controversial and outright unconstitutional. Many Americans call this the Ministry of Truth, like I said, and I think they got the memo. Per New York Post, the Biden administration has, air quote, paused its controversial plans to create the disinformation board, causing it would be a lead, it would causing, excuse me, causing its would-be leader to resign. In a statement Wednesday, Nina Janisaki, I hope I pronounced that name right. Anyways, the disinformation expert tapped to head the panel said that with the board's work paused and its future uncertain, I have decided to leave the Department of Homeland Security to return my work in the public sphere. 
and her departure and decision to scrap the board was first reported by the Washington Post. So even the Washington Post acknowledged that this is being paused. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security spokesman insisted the board was grossly and intentionally mischaracterized, telling the Post it was never about censorship or policy in speech or any manner. It was designed to ensure we fulfill our mission to protect our to protect the homeland while protecting core constitutional rights. Gosh, that sounds like Soviet Union. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, hope, however, false attacks have become a significant distraction from the department, department's vitally important work to combat this information that threatens the safety and security of the American people. So, my initial reaction. Uh, so, it's our fault, as usual, from what I got from the Biden administration. How dare we call their governance disinformation board for what it was uh the ministry of truth propaganda censoring of speech how dare us call them out on their semantics that said i figured this would be the case at some point i didn't see this going far i'm almost positive there's going to be a, i'm pretty sure there's a lawyer that had a conversation with the administration and informed them this would not a hill worth dying on especially considering we have many originalists in the court system right now with the majority in the supreme court Really, thanks to President Donald Trump, he got a lot of conservative justices in there. Uh, so for all the rhinos out there, you can thank Trump for that, as I'm sure you probably tried your best to get him out of office. Anyways, I digress. Uh, I'm just astonished how far apart we are as a country that I cannot, we can't even agree on an un- almost universal basis. And I say almost because there's always going to be you know, some small groups of extremists. But for the most part, it used to be a given where we would agree that this is not, this shouldn't even be a conversation. Like there should be no point. There's, there's no room for a free Republic to have a board that goes after people's speech because they may not like their opinion. And if they don't like their opinion, this is going to be labeled as disinformation, dangerous to democracy. It kind of gets to slippery slope policy a little bit, but if, where does it stop after that? So um, that said, the extremist seems to be on the left these days um, or the left at this point, I've really become Marxist and has become the new mainstream Democrat, especially at that level. So I don't know. I don't know if this is going to be a conversation we'll be revisiting. I'm sure we will revisit this conversation in the future. Um, especially if God forbid, there's an upset on midterms this year and the Democrats maintain power in both congressional, you know, both the house and Senate. But um, I don't know. What are your initial thoughts? Yeah, no, when I, when I first heard about it, I thought immediately to Baghdad Bob. Remember, he, he was uh, on the Iraqi television saying there are no American tanks in Baghdad yeah. while <laughs> the tanks roll by behind, you know. And it's just so laughable how, like, ridiculous. I mean, this is like one of those French things, like, do they really think it's going to, you know, go through? It, it's It's so it's just par for the <laughs> asinine agenda for this administration and those that pulls that pull its strings. So I don't put a lot of stock into it. I think it's going to, you know, die rather quickly. I mean, look at how many other things died rather quickly, you know, but they're throwing it all out. They're trying to see how much they can do because yes, midterms are coming and they know they're going to get slaughtered. Kind of gets into though, kind of pivot back to the 2000 Mules movie. Um, and also, like I said, I 
a part of me is skeptical as far as like how fair this midterms are going to be. But you know, in a in a system where we don't have people that are actually trying to undermine the people's voice, I would agree with you. Like, I don't even think it's going to be a red wave. I think it's going to be a red tsunami. Like, I I think it's going to be like a wave we've never seen really since the Obama years when the House Republican, when the Republicans like overtook the House in massive numbers. Hadn't really seen since the Great Depression when the Democrats overtook the both chambers of Congress after uh, the crash that created the Great Depression. So um, I think this is going to be a bigger wave, at least in a sane world. We live in an insane world, unfortunately. And so that's where we have these conversations, such as the governance disinformation board. And I think it's funny how they keep blaming us, the working class, for calling them out for what it is. Um, their biggest enemy is the truth. They don't like the truth. And you know your argument is weak when you have to, again, you have to try to come up with a board or a proposal or a, a law that suppresses people who call your idea out for what it is, which, one, it's con unconstitutional, and two, it's just frank frankly dumb. <laughs> it's just so stupid. Like, why would, if you support, if you're an American, that should be a given that you believe that people should have the right to say whatever they want within reason as far as like, you can't say fire at a theater, obviously I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like just ideological opinions, more or less that like, you should be able to express those ideological opinions without any consequence as a result, as far as legality anyway. Um, obviously if you, there's going to be social consequences. Like if I come out blatantly racist, then people have the right to ostracize me if they want to. That's a social consequence. But as far as legal consequence, there shouldn't be a legal consequence for that, at least from my perspective. I'd rather know personally that someone's a racist than you to hide that from me. And then before we know that manifests itself into something malevolent where she can actually turn violence later on, which actually kind of, ironically enough, kind of leads to your story just a second. But um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it's one of those situations where Americans just have to take a step back, especially if you're someone who maybe, I don't want to say you're a Biden supporter, but you're at least sympathize with Biden. And you try to, you're still like, why do you keep, why do you keep coming up with excuses? Like, is this not enough? How much more evidence do you need? That this guy is a terrible uh, commander in chief is a terrible president, probably the worst president in our lifetime. Ever. Uh, <laughs> my, I don't know. My, my uncle lived through the Jimmy Carter era, and I know a lot of people compare Jimmy Carter to Joe Biden, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, like, how much more evidence do you need? You know what I'm saying? That's like comparing, you know, a Category Two to a Category Five storm. Well, what do you say then, as far as the? Well, first and foremost, do you think we'll be revisiting this conversation anytime soon? No, I think this is this one is is, is going to be. <laughs> you always have your throwaway koa course of action. This will be, you know, more of a throwaway one. You know, um, it's just so ridiculous, so ridiculous. But yeah, no, the economy trumps everything because that affects everybody, and you know, then there's so many other issues after that, but. The economy is what people are going to be voting on. People do tend to vote with their wallets. And um, 
But they kind of pivot back just a second ago as far as the manifestation of benevolence turned to violence. This actually leads to our final story for today, the Buffalo shooting, which I'll go ahead and give you give you the floor for that story. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, horrible, 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 extremely you know terrible loss of life, uh, innocent victims. But reason it's significant to mention this is because, of course, you know you have those that are automatically going to turn it into an anti-gun. Uh, story, you know, why we need to remove guns, right? Okay. So, um, this is the thing. These these young killers, right, that are going out there doing these mass shootings, what is the common thread between all of them? Psychotropic drugs. And no one's talking about that. And, and I think it's because of the fact that I, you know, through being in the military and seeing how the VA was you know, engaging in polypharmacy, the, uh, the prescription of legal psychotropic drugs, SSRIs, things that affected the brain and for veterans that returned, you know, to deal with their adjustment, their post-traumatic and transition, right? Um, we saw a very high suicide rate in the military and, you know, there were a lot of veterans that were homicidal as a result of being on these, you know, killer cocktails that were prescribed to them. So the thing is, it mirrors the prescription of psychotropic drugs on the civilian population as well. And somehow, some way, these drugs that have, I mean, listen to the commercials. You're watching television. You're watching these commercials that say may lead to suicide, suicidal and homicidal tendencies. How is that even legal? <laughs> how I is that healthcare? Being, yeah. How is that being promoted, right? So, you know, people need to kind of do that root cause analysis. What's getting people to that brink? And realize that this is a problem in our country. And then on top of that, look at the vacuum that this country has been under, you know, for about two years, right, with all the lockdowns and obviously certain cities more than others and certain states more than others. And how that affects and how that's affected the mental health of your average healthy person, you know, who is confined indoors, could, who could not go out to their local park and get vitamin D from outside, you know. Obviously, that's going to affect the average healthy person's brain. But then when you throw in the psychotropic drugs, this polypharmacy that's going on, you know, take a pill, feel better. Doesn't work? Okay, we're going to add more pills to it. You know, it's illegal. It's criminal. It's terrible. And that's what's fueling a lot of these mass killings. And no one's talking about that. They're only focusing on the gun issue. It's taboo, the theme of the show. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, you know, and, and it's just mind-blowing. I mean, we've lost, you know, and you can appreciate as well, you know, we've lost more uh, global war on terror, on terror era veterans to suicide and cancer than we have in actual combat. And these psychotropic drugs are part of the problem. So, there is a saying in healthcare, there's no money to be made from people being healthy, unfortunately. Yeah. It, is, it, it runs like a business, and 
if you can prolong the process of people being sick, that's basically a guaranteed customer you're going to have keep coming back to you that's letting you know that they're still sick and um, and that's more money for the government. Not excuse me, more help money for the healthcare system or more specifically the pharmaceutical companies anyway and doctors as well who prescribe them and they, see, and they get these patients come in. But um, And those in government who are in bed with insider info with these companies too. But that, that's, uh, you know, that's that seems like another, I was going to say, that seems like another conversation, <laughs> but, uh, what should we call, go ahead. Look on Nancy Pelosi at her wealth, her son's wealth. But anyway, you know, it's funny, actually, I have a friend who, who said, I, you know, I just followed whatever she was investing in and I did pretty well in my portfolio too, you know? Um, but that being said, that you're right. That's another issue. But here is what is important. It's taboo. It's, it's not talked about because people, I don't think, realize it. You know, they're saying things like, oh, you know, it's the guns. It's the guns. Well, okay, guns don't get up and shoot people. You know, the gun is the tool, right, right used in the methodology, right, to, for, for that, right? Just like pens. Pens don't write best-selling books. You know, the pen is the tool or the keyboard. That's the tool that's used in the methodology to write best-selling books. So, you know, they're not looking at root cause. And, and that's the problem because Band-Aid fixes are not going to work. And that is a problem when this is a widespread issue. And I'd love to see more narrative and focus on that. Because, and, you know, I thought about it. I thought for a lot of people, it's very personal because I saw statistics, four out of five people in America are on some sort of antidepressant. I thought, wow, that's kidding, huge. Right. And I don't think everybody realizes the, the problem with that. Okay. Um, I don't think people realize like how unhealthy taking those antidepressants actually are. They're, mm-hmm. they're actually... They actually do more to damage your mental health than help. Yeah, and your overall health, too. And, you know, our body is not supposed to be on lifelong medications. You know, I mean, I'm not talking about rare, rare, unique diseases and outlier health issues. But, you know, the system, again, it goes back to the systems. The system grooms you to believe that by the time you're about 40, if not earlier, you're probably going to have cholesterol, diabetes, or high blood pressure and need to be taking any of these medications. And that's on top of your, you know, antidepressant, anti-anxiety medications. And, you know, you listen time and time again to people who, you know, were on them but got off of them and will never go back because they realized how they were living life as a drone. You know, they were existing, but they weren't really living. They weren't really feeling. They weren't really, you know, living their lives. And it it's a problem. It's not talked about. It's not even in the veteran community. That's not really addressed much. It's known it exists, but it's not discussed and flushed out to, you know, to be, I'm not understanding why even today. So to pivot back to the Buffalo shooting real quickly then. So it's confirmed like he was on these drugs. I'm assuming. No, I didn't, you know, I, I, I will, Bet he was on these drugs. I will bet. So it's not, so it's not confirmed then. I didn't right look to see if it was or it wasn't. You know, it's when you look at it, eighteen years old, right? 
obviously environment plays a factor. Okay. So this is one portion of environment. And there was a study done on mass shooters from, you know, I think it was like a six year period. And it did confirm that every single one of them was on some sort of psychotropic drug cocktail. So that seems to be a, a trend. And, you know, across society, the, the use of it is not being discussed. And, you know, I, I had the news on the other day and a commercial came up and, you know, it was a cheery, well-marketed commercial showing the happy person and, and, uh, <laughs> and then they get into the drug that made them that happy. And then it lists all the side effects. And I'm just like, unbelievable. Like, how is that legal? I would love to see, you know, just like you cannot show, you know, cigarettes and cigarette ads, right. And like magazines or television anymore. Right. Like at one point, you could, mm -hmm. you can't. well, same thing should go forth for, you know, drug medications, because here's the thing. If you go to a doctor to seek help for a problem, okay. They know about the medications. Okay. That's a conversation you have with them. But when they're promoting it on television, they're almost making it, you know, seem like, hey, just like when you go out to figure out which kind of car you want, you should be going out to figure out if this can help you. And no, like that's, it's just backwards. It's, it's that power of suggestion and it's used in a manipulative fashion. And it just blows my mind that it's still legal for them to advertise as such because it's promoting something, but it's not giving the full picture. You know, it's like a small disclaimer. Oh yeah, you'll be feeling great. But then small disclaimer, you may want to go out and kill the next day or take your own life. <laughs> how is that legal? How, how can that continue to be promoted, you know, without any checks and balances? It, it's just, I, I don't get that. You know, hopefully that will be addressed. So, so no, I don't know for a fact because I, you know, someone can probably check and um, maybe, maybe that's out now. I don't know. But yes, for a fact, we do know that there is a common pattern amongst many of these um, mass killers. And you wouldn't be surprised if, that, if this was another case. Exactly. Exactly. But that's not, you know, something that's being questioned and discussed. And it's important when you look at a problem because everybody, everybody, I mean, when that happens, oh my gosh, I mean, grandmothers buying strawberries in the, in the shop, you know, like it just, oh, it, again, there's that sinking feeling. I mean, anybody who's human, you know, sees that or saw the video, what happened, you, you just like, boy, this is like a whole other level. I mean, it's horrible, absolutely horrible what happened. And you know, the impact it, it has in the community and all the families of the victims, right? It's just horrible. Mm. Gun down. But here's the thing. It's not a gun issue. The gun was a tool. You know, he could have used a vehicle and plowed into a crowd and taken out a whole crowd as well, you know? So we're not going to ban vehicles, right? You know what I mean? Like, okay, what yeah. is the root cause? What caused that behavior? And based on the patterns of previous young mass shooters that psychotropic drug is a factor and that needs to be the discussion huh i will admit that is something 
I have even myself have not heard about. And my again, my theme of my show is talking about taboo subjects, taboo stories, and that's a perspective that I haven't really heard about before until now. It's definitely you definitely have me curious to look more into it. Um, please, if you could actually send me some resources about the data you just spouted out, as far as like the patterns of like mass shooters uh, being on these drugs, please send it to me because I'm curious now. Yeah, uh, there, there's a. Um... A documentary that shows, you know, basically the problem in the military. It's probably about eight years old now, but it captured and it has statistics and it shows the different ties between, you know, big pharma and the VA. And it shows the poly, polypharmacy problem in the military and very compelling. And again, the military is such a small portion of our, you know, citizenship numbers wise, right? So if you watch that documentary, it's called um, The Hidden Enemy. I'm looking it up real quick, but it was by uh, an organization called CCHR. And so it's a documentary and I believe it, they have it up on YouTube. I'll uh, find the documentary here for you. But essentially it breaks down the problem of how so many of these veterans that were returning that were struggling were prescribed a cocktail of maybe 10, 11 psychotropic drugs. Do, do you think that's going to affect them? <laughs> well, kind of go back to some of the points we were making earlier as far as, you know, the right side anyway. They, they're not really good when it comes to organizing or like framing the narratives as well as the Democrat Party does. This is one of the scenarios where. I think the Republicans should talk more about this and try to reframe the conversations and move away from, I mean, not even just screw, I mean, not screw mental health, obviously mental health is poor. And what I meant by that though, is like, like if the root cause is like, is these people taking these epitomic drugs, did I say that right? Probably not. Anyways, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> if that's really the root cause, then the real fingers we should be pointing to is these pharmaceutical companies at that point. Yeah. And where, where's the regulation? You know, where's the oversight? Where's the accountability? Because. And if that's really, and if that's really the root cause of these shootings, and just so happens that you're right in your speculation in the sense that this is another situation where he was on these high strong medications that had gave him these quote unquote suicidal or homicidal tendencies or thoughts, whatever, then perhaps that's something that people, like you said, more people should talk about it and maybe, mm -hmm. Again, frame the conversation. And this is what Rob DeSantis does so well against the media. When the media tries to frame the, com frame the conversation a certain way, he shoots back at them with facts and gets to the, and talks about the, the actual situation, the real uh, problems that are arising and why he created certain things or created certain policies like the Don't Say Gay Bill, for example. Uh, this is one of those scenarios where Republicans had like more of that Rob DeSantis approach of like framing the conversation and brought up the statistics and pattern that you just brought up. I mean, this is, you can't at that point, like it's a, you have a weak argument as far as to make it a case about, this is about guns and gun safety at that point, because. Exactly. Like when you hear that, you're like, Whoa, wait a minute. You know, the gun didn't just, that was the tool, you know? I mean, it was a tragedy. It was gun, horrible. Gun, what I mean, gun, yeah. Guns can't, they don't wake up one day and they have a conscience and they decide to go to a park and then pull the trigger on themselves. Right. It doesn't work like that. Right. But what's driving the person to do that? So the hidden enemy inside psychiatry's covert agenda is the full name of, you can Google it. Um, it'll bring you right to the link. 
And it was about 90 minutes. It's very compelling, very compelling. A few years old now, but it really, you know, again, just you look at the military and that kind of like gives you some clues as to the bigger picture, what's going on in the country. And I remember, you know, a very compelling line in this documentary said, psychiatry has never cured anything. And it does go into the history of how psychiatry started in the military around World War II. So, huh. Yeah. I'm the, I'll definitely look into that because um, now I'm interested. Like I said, this even myself, I have never heard of uh, the stuff you just brought up as far as the pattern of these massive shooters, active shooters, excuse me. So thank you for bringing that up. That was very interesting. Actually, you brought up a lot of good perspectives today. I really enjoy having you on the show today. Thank um, you. <laughs> uh, with that said, uh, do you have any final thoughts to close out for the show or this segment? Yeah, no, I, I uh, want to say thank you very much. I can appreciate being on your show and having the opportunity to speak with you about, uh, you know, a snapshot and what's going on in here in our, in our country right now and uh, what is affecting all of us. So thank you for that. And yeah, if I can, um, if I could be of service to anyone, by all means, you can connect with me. I'm on all over social and, um, you know, just want to, you know, offer some, if anybody feels, you know, helpless, stuck, uh, frustrated, all they have to do is reach out to someone. And, you know, first of all, they're acknowledging they want to get out of their situation and reach out to someone who, you know, has accomplished or is doing what you want to be doing, or, you know, has, seems to have some answers. And the key takeaway is it's usually going to have to be somebody that's not in your immediate family, in your immediate household, in your immediate circle. You're going to have to usually reach out to someone outside of that. And there's reasons for that. I mean, it's been shown, you know, it's just, you know, people are not, you know, they may love you, but they may not be able to help you and serve you because they see you as their, you know, family member or their, you know, whatever the case is, right? So just reach out. I mean, there's plenty of resources. We're so connected today and no one should ever have to feel that they have to figure things out on their own and, you know, not, you know, and feel like they're without the right tools to be able to do that. And if you want to support an American business, she's a good person to go to now. So yeah. Where you, where can people find you on your social media, by the way, did you mention that? Um, social Instagram, mostly uh, it's uh, at Magda dot Khalifa dot USA. Um, so I'll spell it phonetically. It's a uh, Mike alpha golf. Delta Alpha, period. Last name is Kilo Hotel Alpha, Lima, India, Foxtrot Alpha, period, USA. So it should come up about halfway through the last name. <laughs> Pretty long. Um, oh, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or if they can go to, you know, magdakhalifa.com. I have all things tied to their, the business, the charity, and uh, Freedom Triangle as well. So um, so yeah, look forward to connect with anyone that I can help serve. And, uh, I really appreciate Ken, what you're doing, uh, having these conversations and, uh, grateful for the opportunity to speak with you. Appreciate it. All right, folks. So she'll be gone, but we'll be back. I'll be back after this short break. So stay tuned. 
Welcome, welcome back to Taboo Topic. I am your host, Ken Drew. Thanks again for tuning in to today's show. Hope the conversations today were thought-provoking. Uh, especially that last story in particular for me was definitely thought-provoking. I appreciated that perspective. I had no idea about the patterns concerning with active shooters and the use of drugs that they use that leads into this irrational behavior anyways. Um, so thanks again to uh, Magda Khalifa for participating in talking current events with me. So um, with that said, folks, I hope you have a great, blessed weekend. And until next time, God bless.